Grab genommen bedauert. What happened? Why have we stopped? It's nothing serious, mademoiselle. A small mechanical fault. It is being attended to. Where are we? About 40 miles from Aleppo. Is there likely to be much of a delay? Who can tell? They are doing all they can. But is it going to make us late? I trust not, mademoiselle. I have to change trains in Istanbul. If there's delay, I shall miss the connection. Don't you understand? It's absolutely vital that I catch the Orient Express. We present John Moffat as Hercule Poirot and Andre Moran as Monsieur Bouc in Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express. Um, you have a room reserved for me, I believe. What name, sir? Hercule Poirot. A room with a bath. That is correct. This is the first time you've stayed at the Hotel Tocatlia? It is the first time I have stayed in Istanbul. Something I have always dreamed of. And since I have a few days to spare, I thought I would break my journey from Damascus and play the tourists for a few days. Santa Sofia, the ancient walls of the city. There is a telegram here for you, Monsieur Poirot. Thank you. <sighs> I fear I must ask you to cancel my room. I am required urgently back in London. Santa Sofia will have to wait for another occasion. At what time does the Orient Express leave? At nine o'clock. Will you see if you can get me a compartment on the carry coach? There should be no difficulty at this time of year, Monsieur Poirot. The trains are invariably empty. You are certain? Quite certain. I will see to your booking straight away. You are very kind. I shall take a little refreshment in the bar. My dear Monsieur Poirot. Ah, ça alors, quelle surprise. Monsieur Beau. What are you doing in uh, Istanbul? Ah, unfortunately, I am about to leave it. But it is very good to see you, Monsieur Beau. You are here in your professional capacity? I had hoped to be here as a tourist. I have been attending to a little matter in Syria for the French army. Ah, uh, and you are returning home. Such, it seems, is my fate. I leave by the Orient Express. But that is splendid, so do I. Ah, at least I go as far as Lausanne. It will be a real pleasure to travel in your company. McQueen, sir. McQueen, has all the luggage been brought down? Yes, Mr. Ratchet. Every item you've checked? Every item, Mr. Ratchet. Pay the bill. It's the time we were gone. What a repellent-looking man. Oh, just another American tourist. No, oh, no, 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 my friend. That man is not another anything. He's like a wild animal. Oh, he looks perfectly respectable to me. Ah, it may be so. But I cannot rid myself of the impression of an almost tangible evil. Monsieur Poirot, I'm extremely sorry, but there is not one first-class sleeping berth to be had on the Istanbul Calais coach. It is fully booked. At this time of year? Impossible. But do not worry, my friend. I'm not a director of the Compagnie des Wagons Lits for nothing. I shall find a compartment for you on the Simplon Orient. Never fear.
no, Monsieur Buc. It is quite impossible. I am sorry, but every compartment is taken. It is incredible. Michel, what is happening? Is it some kind of convention? A party? Uh, no, Monsieur Buc. They are all ordinary passengers. It just happens that many people have chosen to travel tonight. Well, at Belgrade, there will be the sleep curse from Athens, but we don't reach Belgrade until tomorrow evening. What is my friend to do tonight? Is there no second-class berth for you? Uh, there is one, but it is a lady's berth, and there is already a woman in the compartment, a, a lady's maid. Uh, she is a German. How very awkward. Uh, have all the passengers arrived? I believe so. No. There is a gentleman in uh, number seven, a uh, second class. He has not yet come. But the train leaves in four minutes. Ah, he is an Englishman, uh, Monsieur Harris. Ah, if he's called Harris, he certainly will not come. He will be like Mrs. Harris, the friend of Sarah Camp in the novel by Dickens. She did not exist. Put Monsieur Poirot's luggage in number seven. If this Mr. Harris arrives, we will tell him that he is too late, that berths can only be held until five minutes before departure. We will find him a berth at Belgrade. Understood? Uh, understood, Monsieur Buc. If the gentleman would be so good as to follow me, hmm? I will take him to compartment number seven. Is this your uh, luggage, monsieur? No, thank you. And thank you, Monsieur Buc. It is the end compartment exactly at one, Monsieur. Yeah. You can apply American standards out here. It's just natural for the folks to be indolent. Excuse me, Madame. Oh, yes, yes, pardon. of course, of course. In my country, it's just the opposite. Okay. Something to do with the climate, I say. Uh, pardon, Madame. Uh, pardon, yes, madame. Um, and I said to him, you call it that, making a sale? I sold a 22 in one morning. Uh, pardon, Signor. Here is the compartment, Excuse me, I, I, I think you've made a mistake. Uh, you are uh, Mr. Harris, perhaps? No, no, my name is McQueen, but I thought this compartment was booked. Uh, Monsieur Harris has not arrived, and there is no other berth on the Stambul-Calais coach. Uh, the gentleman has to come in here. Oh, I see. If you will allow me to put your luggage on the rack, Monsieur. Oh, of course, thank you. Yours is the upper berth, Monsieur. Mm -hmm. The train starts in one minute. You uh, really must have quite a pull with this company. I've never seen a conductor put a passenger's luggage up before. <laughs> uh, if you'd rather of the lower berth, sir, I, I mean it might be easier for you. No, 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 no. It will be no trouble. Please. It won't inconvenience me in the slightest. Oh, then I accept. After all, it will be for one night only. At Belgrade, I shall... Oh, you're getting off in Belgrade. No. You see, I... Ooh. <laughs> Looks like we're off. I didn't see you at breakfast, mon cher. I trust you slept well. I always sleep well on trains. Ah, this is a really excellent lunch, Monsieur Book. You keep a very high standard. It is the premier train in Europe. What else would you expect of us? I only hope your passengers appreciate it. They are a very curious selection. Ah, if I had the pen of a Balzac, only he could do this little scene justice. <laughs> Quite an idea. It has not been done, I think, and yet uh, what a wonderful novel it would make. 
All around us are people of all nationalities, all classes and all ages. For three days, these people, strangers to one another, are brought together. They sleep and eat on the one roof. They cannot get away from one another. Just look at them over here. Take those three men at that table there, thrown together by chance, and yet uh, already they seem to have uh, something in common. In my country, we never do things by heart. Huh? If we want something, we go for it. Just the same with us. If you're going to do a thing, hit it right on the head. <laughs> An Italian who looks like a bandit from the Abruzzi and a very large American in a very loud suit. Who might perhaps be a commercial traveler. But... The fastidious little Englishman who is with them looks as if he wishes he were at another table. As far as I am concerned, unobtrusiveness is a much underestimated virtue these days. <laughs> a rather superior servant, perhaps. And uh, what do you make of the astonishingly ugly old lady in the sable coat? That's so? Yes, madam. You will be good enough to place in my compartment the bottle of mineral water and the large glass of orange juice. Certainly, madam. And at dinner tonight, you will arrange that I shall have chicken cooked without sauces, all sauce and boiled fish. Oh, of course, madam. I will see to this. She looks as if she would be more at home at the court of Catherine the Great. And what pose? You are not far wrong, you know. That is the Princess Dragomirov. She's extremely wealthy. I've heard of her. Oh, quite a personality. Now, take the, uh, that woman over there. The American lady with all those rings on her fingers. My daughter told me, take a book of food tickets and you'll have no trouble. No trouble at all. Not much in the way of aristocracy there, unless it is the aristocracy of money. Mm -hmm. That just isn't so. It seems they have to have a 10% tip. She has not stopped talking since she sat down at the table. Did you taste that mineral water? Why can't they use Evian or Vichy? Oh, it's just because they must serve us the water of each country. Each country we're traveling through. And as for that dowdy Scandinavian lady, does she not look to you exactly like a sheep? Oh, no, you are not kind, Monsieur Book. Now, who is that mysterious-looking woman who sits with them and who doesn't speak a word? Quite a beauty in her way, but certainly not uh, an innocent abroad like the start American lady. Now, there I think I can enlighten you, my friend. She is an English governess traveling home from Baghdad. She and that tall, lean, military-looking gentleman at the next table who is pointedly trying to give the impression that he does not know her were traveling together on the Taurus Express, which I boarded at Aleppo. They went through a very pretty comedy for my benefit, pretending not to know one another. Very reserved, very English. And then, when the train stopped at Konya, they took a walk along the platform. I overheard them just beneath the window of my compartment. I wish to heaven you were out of this business, Mary. It's no good talking about it. Mary. Mary, I... No, not now. When it's over, when it's all behind us, then... And then they walked away. Curious, is it not? I was quite intrigued. Do you always eavesdrop on romantic encounters, my friend? I was not eavesdropping. I just happened to overhear it. Now, who else have we... 
the German lady's maid, with whom you decline to share a compartment. I cannot say I blame you. She's exceedingly plain. And that very elegant couple over in the corner. So perfectly comme il faut. I scarcely think that a week in Paris will really give us time. But surely we promised Francis that we would be at Chevreau's on the 14th. A very handsome couple. From his clothes, he looks as if he ought to be English, but... I am certain they will not be at all put out if we arrive a day or two later. No, no, certainly not English. I would like a little time to consider my winter wardrobe. Budapest is always at least six months behind the times. Very pretty and very chic, is she not? According to Michel's list, they are Hungarian. The Count and Countess Andrini. She's quite charming. But something is worrying her. Why can't you stop playing the detective for once? I can never stop. And I never play, as you put it. As for the other diners, we already know Mr. McQueen, with whom you are sharing a compartment, and his employer, your wild animal, who we saw at the hotel bar. Mm, What is his name? Uh, Ratchet. I suppose he's some sort of businessman. Well, it has all been most interesting... And I'm sorry that Balzac isn't with us, but now I have work to do. I will see you later, mon vieux. Very well. I shall stay here and take a liqueur, perhaps. Thank you for an excellent meal, Monsieur Book. Excuse me, sir. Could you oblige me with a light? Of course. Thank you. My name is Ratchet. Uh, you're welcome to keep the matches, Mr. Ratchet. I believe that I have the pleasure of speaking to Monsieur Hercule Poirot. Is that so? You have been correctly informed, Monsieur. In my country, we come to the point quickly. I want you to take on a job for me, Mr. Poirot. Uh, my clientele is extremely limited nowadays, Mr. Ratchet. I take on very few cases. I did not imagine it would be otherwise, but I am talking big money here, Mr. Poirot. Very big money. What is it that you wish me to do for you? Let me put it this way. I am a rich man. I am a very rich man. And rich men inevitably do have enemies. Well, I have an enemy. Just the one. What exactly do you mean by that? You say that men in your position have enemies. Generally, there are more than one. Enemy or enemies, what does it matter? I'm only concerned about my safety. My life has been threatened. Not once. But several times, Mr. Poirot. I'm the kind of man that reckons he can take care of himself. Which is why you carry a small automatic in your inside pocket. I can see nothing much escapes you. (laughs) But there is no point in not making assurance doubly sure. That is why I want you to be my extra cover. You want me to be your bodyguard? I want you to find out where the threats are coming from. You are the man for my money, Mr. Poirot. And I do mean money. You can write your own check. Hmm. I regret, Mr. Ratchet, that I cannot oblige you. Why the hell not? I told you the sky is the limit. You do not understand, Mr. Ratchet. I have been very fortunate in my profession. I have made myself enough money to satisfy both my needs and my caprices. I take now only such cases that interest me. You've got quite a nerve, Poirot. What is wrong with my proposition? If you will forgive me for being personal, I do not like your face, Mr. Ratchet. 
I would not stand about out here, my friend. It is bitterly cold. I had hoped to get a little glimpse of Belgrade. One town is much like another viewed from a railway station. Mm-hmm. And it is snowing very heavily. Ah, they said that they have seen nothing like it for years. I only hope that we are not held up. I'm not happy about it, I can tell you. But uh, let's get back into the train. It is due to leave very shortly. I have moved the gentleman's luggage into your compartment, Monsieur Book. Ah, thank you, Michel. Now you will have a first-class compartment to yourself, my friend. But uh, where will you go? Oh, I have moved into the coach from Athens. It is attached to the train here. Now, you are sure I'm not putting you to any inconvenience? Oh, not the least. It is more convenient like this. You are going through to Calais, so it is better that you stay in this coach. The Athens part of the train is empty, except for a Greek doctor and myself. Your compartment is number one, next to your good friend, Mr. Ratchet. Would you like Michel to show you where it is? Oh, no, mon dieu. I will find my way easily enough. Till tomorrow, then. Good night. Bonne nuit. Bonne nuit, Monsieur Book. And thank you. Uh, but I thought the British were running the whole show out in India, Colonel. Hey, I didn't expect to see you, Monsieur. I thought you were getting off the train at Belgrade. Uh, no, you misunderstood me, I think, Mr. McQueen. I was merely changing my compartment. My luggage has been moved into number one. Next to my boss. Thank you, Mr. McQueen. Good night. Good night, monsieur. Say, why don't you come into my compartment, Colonel, and, uh, well, you can put me right about the same part of yours over a glass or two of sky. You're sure you'll be all right now, Miss Holt? Yes, thank you. You have been very kind. Take another aspirin and go to sleep. I'm sure you'll feel just fine in the morning. I hope I will. Good night. Sleep tight. Oh, good evening, monsieur. Good evening, madame. Poor creature. She's got the most frightful headache. She's a Swede. As far as I can make out, she's a missionary of some sort, a teaching one. Mm-hmm. I thought you were down the other end. No, I have moved into the compartment of Monsieur Book, number one. On the other side of Mr. Ratchet? That is the one. There's something wrong about that man. My daughter always says I'm very intuitive, and I've got a hunch about Mr. Ratchet. I've got the compartment next to his on this side, and I can tell you I don't like it one bit. I put all my grips against the communicating door. I thought I heard him trying the handle. I dare say I'm foolish, but there it is. One can never be too careful, Mrs. Hubbard. I'm downright scared of him. My daughter said I'd have an easy journey, but somehow I don't feel happy about it. I guess I'll turn in and read. Good night. Good night, madame. Good night, then, Mr. Ratchet. Just a moment, Masterman. Yes, Mr. Ratchet. I'll take breakfast in the dining car tomorrow. Make sure I get my usual. I'll see to it, Mr. Ratchet. Good night, Mr. Ratchet. Ah. Evidence of Mr. Shepard, manager of the bank. The emerald was deposited with him on March 25th by Mr. Patrick, the family solicitor. On April the 15th, Mr. Patrick. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm getting too fatigued for all this. Ah. Time to go to sleep. Ah! 
What was that? Huh? A nightmare. It must have been. The train is not moving. Are we at a station? Strange how everything sounds so loud when the train is not moving. Oh. Oh, does no one ever sleep on this cursed train? Madame, uh, what can I do for what you? What took you so long? Oh, I could have been murdered here. There's someone in my compartment. Oh, but, Mrs. Hubbard, that is not possible. Oh, no. You can see for yourself, madame. There is no one here. Oh. It must have been a nightmare. Oh. Oh. Good night, madame. Sleep well. <sighs> oh, dear, is everyone on this train mad? Yes, monsieur. Uh, can I help you? What is happening? Why is the train not moving? Oh, it is most unfortunate. We have run into a snowdrift. Heaven knows how long we shall be here. The snow is falling very heavily. Already it is up to the top of the windows. It could be days before the line is clear. Days? I fear so, monsieur. <sighs> Where are we? Between Vincozzi and Broad. And as if we did not have enough trouble... The American lady... I heard her shouting. Uh, she insists, uh, absolutely insists, that there was a man in her compartment. Mm. Just imagine, monsieur, how could anyone conceal themselves in a space this size? But she would not listen to reason, as if there was not enough to worry about. Well, I am sorry to add to your travels, my friend, but uh, if I might have a little bottle of mineral water... Oh, of course, monsieur. Straight away. Away down the corridor. <sighs> Decidedly, I suffer from the nerves. My daughter told me I wouldn't have any trouble. Just get on the train, she said. Sit tight, and you'll be in Paris in no time. And now we may be here for days and days. My boat sails the day after tomorrow. I can't even wire to cancel my passage. My sister and her children are waiting me. I, I can get no word to them. They will think something terrible has happened me. Doesn't anyone have any idea how long we're likely to be here? What is this country anyway? Yugoslavia, I believe. Oh, one of those Balkan things. What can you expect? I suppose that somebody will come along and dig us out in the end. We shall just have to sit here and wait. You are very patient, mademoiselle. What else can one do? Ah, huh? you are a philosopher. That implies a detached attitude. I think my own attitude is more selfish. I've learned to save myself useless emotion. Uh, 
Excuse me, monsieur. Yes, what is it? Monsieur Book presents his compliments. Uh, he would be grateful if you would be so kind as to spare him a few minutes of your time. Not of course. Uh, excuse me. Ah, oh, Poirot, my good friend, come in. You too, Michel. Ah, mon ami, we have need of you. Well, what has occurred? Ah, you may well ask. If it were not enough that we are cut off from the world by the snow... What then? Now a passenger lies dead in his berth, stabbed. Which passenger? Mr. Ratchet. The man is the next compartment to you. Mr. Ratchet. That is very curious. Curious? It is a disaster. A murder itself would be serious enough, but consider the circumstances. Who knows how long we may be stuck here in the snow? And there is something else. Mm. Passing through most countries, we have the local police on the train. But here, it is not so. It is a position of great difficulty for you, I agree, but... And there is worse to come. Dr. Constantine says... Oh, forgive me for not introducing you, but uh, my mind is in a whirl. What is the company going to say to all this? Monsieur... I am Dr. Constantine. And I am Hercule Poirot. Dr. Constantine is of the opinion that the man was killed between midnight and two in the morning. It is difficult to say exactly in these matters, but that would be my guess. When was the crime discovered? I shall leave that to our conductor. Uh, Michel, tell monsieur exactly what happened. The valet of Monsieur Ratchet, uh, Mr. Masterman, had instructions to uh, order breakfast for his master in the dining car. When Monsieur Ratchet did not appear, and he could receive no answer from the compartment, he asked me for help. What time was this? Uh, about eleven. I opened the door of the compartment with my key, but the chain was fastened across. I broke the chain. I thought at first that the gentleman must have had a fit, but then I saw... The door was locked and fastened on the inside. Uh, it was not suicide. Does a man who commits suicide stab himself in ten or twelve different places? Ah, that shows great ferocity. It must have been a woman. Only a woman would kill a man like that. If it was a woman, she must have been very strong. Some of the blows were delivered with such force as to drive through hard belts of muscle and bone. It was not clearly a very scientific crime. The question is, what are we to do now? Monsieur Poirot, I know your powers. I beseech you, please, take command of the investigation. Oh, but, Monsieur Book, I can scarcely... Do. No, 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 please do not refuse. Just think. Eventually, the Yugoslav police will arrive. How simple if we can present them with a solution. Simple? But if we do not, there will be interminable delays and annoyances and endless embarrassment for the company. But if you can tell the police, this is the criminal... Your faith touches me, Monsieur Book, and I must admit, this problem intrigues me. I was reflecting not thirty minutes ago that many hours of boredom lay ahead of me while we are stuck here, and now a problem arrives, ready to my hand. Then... You will accept? C'est entendu. You can place the matter in my hands. Oh, I cannot express my gratitude. We are all at your service. Now, to begin with, I should like a plan of the Istanbul Curry coach with a note of the people who occupy the compartments, and I should also like to see their tickets and their passports. Michel, will you see to that, please? Of course, Monsieur Bouc. Now, what other passengers are on the train? Eh bien, um, in the Athens coach, uh, Dr. Constantine and I are the only travellers. Mm -hmm. uh, beyond that are the ordinary carriages. 
but they do not concern us since they were locked off from this part of the train after dinner had been served last night. Mm -hmm. And the forward of the Istanbul Cali coach is only the dining car. Then it seems as though we must look for a murderer in the Istanbul Cali coach. At half an hour after midnight, we ran into the snowdrift. No one can have left the train since then. So, we have established two things. The murderer is with us still on the train, and he or she is a passenger on the Stambul-Calais coach. Will you need to question all of them? Certainly, Monsieur Bouc. Now, we must find somewhere to conduct the interviews. I will get Michel to clear the passengers out of the restaurant car. Ah, yes, Michel. We must put him on our list. Michel? But he has worked with the company for years. Nevertheless, we must overlook no one. Now, I think that while they are clearing the restaurant car, we should pay a call on Mr. McQueen. He may be able to enlighten us about his late employer. So, they got him after all. What exactly do you mean by that phrase, Mr. McQueen? Uh, I must get this clear. Who exactly are you, gentlemen, and where do you come in? I am a director de la Compagnie Internationale de Vagonly, and this gentleman is a detective active on my behalf. My name is Hercule Poirot. You know the name, perhaps? Why, yes, it does seem kind of familiar. Only I thought it was some kind of a woman's dressmaker. <sighs> it is incredible. What's incredible? Hmm? No, it is nothing. Let us continue. I want you to tell me, Mr. McQueen, all that you know about the dead man. You were not related to him? No. I am... I was his secretary. For how long have you held that post? Just over a year. I met Mr. Ratchet when I was in Persia looking into an oil concession. We had it all gone rather badly. Mr. Ratchet was staying in the same hotel. He just fired the guy who'd been his secretary. He offered me the job and I took it. I was glad to find a well-paid job, ready-made, as it were. And what uh, did it involve? Very little. Mr. Ratchet wanted to see the world. He was hampered by knowing no languages. I worked more as a courier than as a secretary. It was a pleasant life. Now, tell me all you can about your employer. That's not so easy. I knew very little about him at all. Mr. Ratchet never spoke about himself or his life in America. Why do you think that was? I don't know. I guess he might have been ashamed of his beginnings. Some men are. But you must have formed some theory about him. Well, yes, I did. For one thing, I don't believe Ratchet was his real name. I think he left America in order to escape somebody or something. And he was pretty successful. Until a few weeks ago. What happened then? He began to get letters. Threatening letters. Did he show them to you? Oh, yes. It was my business to attend to his correspondence. The first letter came about two weeks ago. I got them in my briefcase. Do you want to see them? Of course. This is why you said, so they got him after all, hmm? That's right. Here you are. This was the first letter. Ah. Thought you'd double-cross us and get away with it, did you? We are out to get you, Ratchet, and we will get you. And this came a few days later. We are going to take you for a ride, Ratchet. Sometime soon, we are going to get you. Huh. How very curious. Pretty crude, aren't they? This one was obviously written by two people, each writing a letter of a word at a time. Now tell me, how did Mr. Ratchet react when he received the first? He passed it off with a laugh. But I could see there was quite a lot going on underneath. 
Now tell me honestly, did you like your employer, Mr. McQueen? <laughs> no, I did not. And uh, why was that? To tell you the truth, I disliked and distrusted him. He seemed to me to be a cruel and dangerous man. That's just a hunch. I've got no proof of it. Well, thank you for being so honest. One further question. When did you last see Mr. Ratchet alive? Last evening, about uh, 10 o'clock. I went into his compartment to take down some memoranda from him. On what subject? Oh, nothing very exciting. Uh, some stuff about tiles and antique pottery he'd bought in Persia. Well, that is all for the present, Mr. McQueen. I should be obliged if you would keep the matter of Mr. Ratchet's death to yourself for a little time. I'll do my best. Thank you, Mr. McQueen. I shall be interviewing all the other passengers in the restaurant car very soon. But first, I, um, I think I had better view the body. Oh, you will forgive me if I do not accompany you, mon cher, but uh, one look was quite enough. I thought it best to leave the window open, since that is the way we found it. You did right, Doctor, but it is bitterly cold in here. In my opinion, this open window is an attempt to deceive us that the murderer left that way. But if he had, there would have been traces in the snow, even supposing that he could have got through it at all. As you can see, there is nothing. I agree with you, Doctor. And since there are no fingerprints, I think we may safely close the window. The body is exactly as I found it. I opened the pajama jacket. That is all. Mm, it is not pretty. Someone must have stood here and stabbed him again and again. How many wounds are there exactly? There seem to be twelve, but it is difficult to tell. The blows seem to have been delivered in a most haphazard and random way. One or two are so slight as to be practically scratches. On the other hand... At least three would be capable of causing death. And there is something else that puzzles me. And what is that? You see, these two wounds, here and here, mm. they are deep. Each cut must have severed blood vessels, and yet the edges do not gape. They have not bled as one would have suspected. Which suggests? That the man was already dead. <laughs> Some time dead when the blows were delivered, but that is surely absurd. It would seem so. And there is one other thing. You see this wound here, under the right arm? Mm -hmm. uh, could you pretend to deliver such a blow? Here, take my pencil. Uh. Ah, I see what you mean. Hmm? With the right hand it is almost impossible, but if the blow was struck with the left hand... Exactly. And yet, some of these other blows are obviously right-handed. Two people were involved in writing the threatening letters. Was the killing also carried out by two people? Was the electric light on? No, the light over the bed had been turned off. Eh bien. So we have here a hypothesis of the first and second murderer, as the great Shakespeare would put it. <laughs> the first murderer stabbed his victim and left the compartment, turning off the light. The second murderer came in in the dark and stabbed at least twice at a dead man. What do you think of that? <laughs> Most ingenious. <laughs> you think so? It sounded to me a little like nonsense. What other explanation can there be? That is just what I am asking myself. 
Are there any other signs that would point to two people being involved? I think there are. Some of the blows must have been relatively feeble, while others required great strength. You mean they could only have been delivered by a man? A young, vigorous, athletic woman might have struck them, especially if she were in the grip of a strong emotion. But, in my opinion, it is most unlikely. And the victim? The victim. What does he do in all this? Does he cry out? Does he struggle? Does he... You see? A pistol. Then why did he not use it? But there's a glass on the wash basin. That's why. Drugged? Yes. And in the ashtray, some fragments of charred paper. What do they have to tell us? There's something on the floor. Hmm. A dainty little cambric handkerchief with an initial embroidered on it, H. Then our friend, Monsieur Pouc, was right. There is a woman concerned in all this. And most conveniently, she leaves her handkerchief behind. And to make things easier for us, it is marked with an initial. Uh Aha, what have we here? A pipe cleaner. And as far as I know, Ratchet did not smoke a pipe. A valuable clue. And dropped most conveniently for us to find. Was there any sign of a weapon? None at all. But I failed to notice this when I examined the dead man. His watch? Mm, it was in his pyjama pocket. And it has been so badly dented that it has stopped at a quarter past one. If that is the time he was attacked, then that agrees exactly with my own calculations. Mm, it is possible, Doctor. It is certainly possible. But what I need now is a woman's old-fashioned hatbox. <laughs> What on earth for? Perhaps the conductor will be able to help me. I don't understand what you are trying to do, Monsieur Poirot. Can you explain? It is fortunate that the Swedish lady should be so far behind the times. These two humps of wire were intended to keep the hat in shape. I trust she will not miss it. But what are you planning to do with it? Now, watch carefully, Doctor. If I put this fragment of charred paper which we found in the ashtray between these two humps of wire and heat it slowly over my little spirit lamp, we may find something which may tell us about the crime. I don't understand you. What do you expect to find from the burnt paper? Watch carefully, Doctor. The paper is now held in place by the wire cages. If I light the spirit lamp and hold it under the paper... Do you see? Something is appearing. Can you read it? I can just make out the words. Member little Daisy Armstrong. Daisy Armstrong. It is enough. It tells you something. It does. I know the real name of the dead man. I know why he had to leave America. What was his name? Cassetti. Cassetti. Brings back something to me, but I cannot remember. Uh, it was a crime in America, was it not? Yes, it was in America. The Armstrong baby. Of course. The little girl who was kidnapped and murdered. Colonel Armstrong was an Englishman, a distinguished soldier, a V.C. He married the daughter of Linda Arden. Linda Arden was a very famous actress in her time, I remember. A great celebrity. The Armstrongs lived in America and had one child whom they worshipped. When she was three years old, she was kidnapped 
and an impossibly high sum demanded as the price of her return. And after the money had been handed over, they found the little girl's body. She had been dead for at least a fortnight. Her mother, Sonia Armstrong, was expecting another child at the time. The baby was born dead, and Mrs. Armstrong died shortly after. Her poor husband shot himself. Wasn't there another death? The housemaid or someone? Yes, she was uh, French or Swiss, I think. I can't remember now. The police were convinced that she was somehow involved, and in a fit of despair, she threw herself out of a window. And it was subsequently proved that she was absolutely innocent. But surely the kidnapper was arrested, wasn't he? Oh, yes, yes, Cassetti was arrested. He was the head of a kidnapping syndicate and enormously rich. He was also a blackmailer. Either through massive bribery or through fear of some private scandal, the court acquitted him. There was some uh, technical inaccuracy in the indictment. You can well imagine the public outrage. Mm. Cassetti managed to get out of the country before he was lynched. So presumably he has been living abroad under an assumed identity all this time. Mm. I cannot regret that he is dead. He deserved to die a hundred deaths. Even so, my friend, a murder is a murder. And it has to be investigated. Do you think that the letter was deliberately burned so that Cassidy's death could not be connected with the Armstrongs? Almost certainly. Are there any members of the Armstrong family still living? That, unfortunately, I do not know. I think I remember hearing of a younger sister of Sonia Armstrong, but I cannot be sure. Ah, that is what is so difficult about our present situation. We are cut off from the world. No telephone, no way of verifying the identity of the passengers. So this lady could be among the people travelling on this train? That remains to be seen. Ah, but the restaurant car must have been cleared by now. It is time to commence the examination. Perhaps we might start with the conductor, Pierre Michel. Mm -hmm. He has been with the company for 15 years, and he has an excellent record. Honest and conscientious, but uh, he's worried that someone might hold him responsible. He's not remarkable for his brain power. Oh. It is a terrible thing to happen. In all these years working for the company, I have never known anything like it. Calm yourself, my friend. Let us concentrate on the facts of the case. At what hour did Mr. Ratchet retire for the night? Oh, almost immediately after dinner, monsieur. It was before we left Belgrade. Did anyone go into his compartment afterwards? His valet, uh, Monsieur Masterman. And that is the last you saw or heard of him? Oh, no, Monsieur. He rang his bell uh, about uh, twenty to one, uh, soon after we had stopped in the snow. Uh, tell us what happened. I knocked on his door, but he called that he had made a mistake. In English or French? In French. He said, ce n'est rien, je me suis trompé. That is true, I heard him myself. And then you went away? Uh, yes, monsieur. I went to answer another bell that had just rung. And uh, where were you at a quarter past one? I was at my seat at the end, facing up the corridor. You never left it? I did, but uh, only for a moment. Uh, I went into the Athens coach to speak to my colleague about the snow. Uh, that must have been uh, soon after one o'clock. And when did you return? Uh, one of my bells rang. Uh, you will remember, monsieur. Uh, the American lady was certain that somebody was in her compartment, and uh, after that, you yourself rang. And then? I went to make up the bed in uh, Monsieur McQueen's compartment. And after that? After that, I sat in my seat until morning. And did you notice any of the passengers moving up or down the corridor? Uh, one of the ladies went to the toilet at the far end, I think. Past uh, Monsieur Ratchet's compartment? Uh, yes, Monsieur Book. Uh, which lady? I do not know, Monsieur. She had her back to me. Uh, she was wearing a red kimono with dragons on it. Uh -huh. 
Let us pass to another matter. Supposing that an assassin joined the train unnoticed last night, could he have left it after committing the crime? I don't see how he could have done. Uh, the snow was right up to the doors and windows. Could he be concealed anywhere on the train? No, no, there has been a most thorough search. It is impossible. And besides, no one could get into the sleeping car without my seeing them. Now, the last stop was Winkovsi, was it not? Yes, monsieur. Uh, we should have left there at 11.55, but we were nearly 20 minutes late because of the snow. Uh, did you yourself uh, descend from the train? Uh, yes, monsieur. I got down on the platform as usual and stood by the step up into the train. Uh, the other conductors did the same. One thing more. You said that another bell rang while you were knocking at Mr. Ratchet's door. Whose was it? Princess Dragomirov's. Uh, she asked me to summon her maid. You did so? Yes, monsieur. Right, that is all for the moment. <laughs> monsieur does not blame me. Oh, you have had the evil chance, my friend. Do not distress yourself. Could you tell me who alerted you that all was not well with Mr. Ratchet? His valet, Monsieur Masterman. Ah, then I think we had better see him next. Uh, Monsieur Book, I have instructed the men to clear the snow from the doors and windows. I, I trust that is in order. But there is no chance that the murderer may escape into the oh, snow? No, monsieur. It is piled up at least six feet on either side of the track. Huh. Then go ahead and uh, send uh, Monsieur Masterman along to us. Uh, there was nothing unusual about his being late for breakfast. Sometimes he wouldn't get up until lunchtime. But last night he made a particular point about my ordering his breakfast. Uh, that was why I was worried when he didn't answer. At what time did you last see Mr. Ratchet? Oh, it must have been about nine o'clock last night, sir, or a little after. And was there anything about his manner that uh, struck you as unusual? I think he was upset. Uh, in what way? Over a letter he'd been reading... He wanted to know how it came to be in his compartment. He inferred that I might have put it there. Of course, I told him that it was nothing to do with me. And then he started finding fault with things. He could be extremely trying when he was in a bad mood. Was your master in the habit of taking a sleeping draught? Uh, always when travelling by train, sir. He said he couldn't sleep otherwise. Uh, can you tell us uh, what the drug was? Oh, I couldn't say. Uh, there was no name on the bottle. Just... The sleeping draught to be taken at bedtime. Mm. And uh, did he take it last night? Oh, yes, sir. I poured it into a glass and put it on top of the toilet table, ready for him. You didn't actually see him drink it? Oh, no, sir. Oh. Tell me, Mr. Mastman, what was your opinion of your employer? I have always made a point of never having an opinion of my employer, sir. Mm, but uh, even so... Mr. Ratchet was always very generous, uh, financially. But did you like him? <laughs> Shall we put it, sir, that I don't care very much for Americans? Have you ever been in America? Oh, no, sir. Do you remember reading in the papers of the Armstrong kidnapping case? Oh, yes, indeed, sir. A little baby girl, wasn't it? A very shocking affair. Did you know that your master was the principal instigator of that kidnapping? Mr. Ratchet... Oh, I can't believe it. Is that true? It is true, Mr. Masterman. Now, to pass on to your movements last night, what did you do after leaving Mr. Ratchet? I went back to my own compartment and read. And uh, your compartment was... Um... Uh, number four in the second class, uh, next to the dining car. Uh, oui, oui. Uh, you are sharing it with Signor Foscarelli. Does he speak English? 
Well, a kind of English, sir. He's been in America. Uh, Chicago, I understand. Do you and he talk together much? Oh, no, sir. I prefer to read. Uh-huh. And, uh, what may I ask are you reading? A Love's Captive by Mrs. Arabella Richardson. A good story? I find it highly enjoyable, sir. Huh. Ah, well, uh, let us continue. You returned to your compartment and read Love's Captive till when? Oh, at about 10.30 the Italian gentleman wanted to go to bed, so the conductor came and made the beds up. And then you went to bed and to sleep? I went to bed, sir, but, alas, not to sleep. And, uh, why was that? Oh, I had toothache. Ah, it is very painful, the toothache. Did you do anything for it? Well, I applied some oil of cloves, which relieved the pain a little, but I was still not able to get to sleep. I turned the light on over my bed and went on reading, uh, to take my mind off it. And, uh, Signor Foscarelli? Oh, he slept very soundly, sir. He snored a good deal, which was particularly trying. Did he leave the compartment at all during the night? Oh, no, sir. And did you? Oh, no, sir. No. Well, there seems very little else to be said. Oh, by the way, are you a pipe smoker? Oh, no, sir. Uh, just the occasional cigarette. Uh-huh. Thank you, Mr. Masterman. That will do. Uh, <clears throat> I hope you won't think me presumptuous in mentioning it, sir, but the American lady, Mrs. Hubbard, is in something of a state and is carrying on rather considerably. She's saying she knows all about the murderer. I thought you ought to know, sir. Well, thank you very much for drawing my attention to it. In that case, we had better see her straight away. Would you be so kind as to uh, ask her to come along? Of course, sir. What I've got to tell you is this. I've heard they're saying there was a murderer on the train last night. Well, the murderer was in my compartment. You are certain of this, madame? Of course I'm certain. I was asleep, and suddenly something woke me up. And I knew right away. There was a man in my compartment. I was so scared, I couldn't even scream. I lay there and I thought, I'm going to be killed. <laughs> what the hell was that? It is nothing, Madame Hubbard. They are just uh, clearing the snow from the windows. I'm just a bag of nerves. I don't know what my daughter would say. Where was I? Uh, you thought you were going to be killed. Well, somehow I got my wits together. And I felt about with my hand and I pressed the bell for the conductor. I rang and rang, but nothing happened. And I can tell you, I thought my heart was going to stop beating. Mercy, I thought to myself. Maybe they've murdered everyone on the train. The train was at a standstill, and there was an eerie silence everywhere. And then I heard footsteps coming along the corridor, and the conductor knocked at the door. I screamed at him to come in, and I switched the light on, and would you believe it? There wasn't a soul there. Are you sure it wasn't just a nightmare, madame? That's just what the conductor said. He was convinced I dreamed up the whole damn thing. I made him look under the seat, though he said there wasn't room for the man to squeeze himself in there. It was plain enough that someone had been in and had got away again. But how do you think he could have got away? Well, you know, I got it into my head that it was the man from the next compartment, the fellow that's been killed... I have to admit I didn't like the look of him from the start. There was something about him that really frightened me. 
I told the conductor to look at the connecting door between my compartment and his, and sure enough, it wasn't bolted. But, madame, if you were so frightened of this man, why didn't you make sure that the door was bolted before you went to sleep? Oh, I did. You did? Well, as a matter of fact, I asked that Swedish lady to see if it was bolted, and she said it was. Uh, how was it that you could not see it yourself? Because I was lying down on my bed and my sponge bag was hanging on the door handle. She'd come into my compartment to see if I'd got an aspirin. And what time was this? It must have been around half past ten or quarter to eleven. Poor soul, she was in a state. She even opened the door of the next compartment by mistake. Monsieur Ratchets? He was most distressed about it. He laughed, apparently, and I rather fancy he said something not quite nice. Poor thing. She was all in a flutter. Uh, did you hear any noise from Mr. Ratchet's compartment? No, not exactly. What do you mean by that? He snored. And did you hear him snore after the scare about a man being in your compartment? How could I? He was dead. Ah, yes. <laughs> How stupid of me. <laughs> Mrs. Hubbard... Do you remember the affair of the Armstrong kidnapping? Yes, indeed, I do. And that evil killer got clean away with it. I'd have been happy to turn the switch on the electric chair myself. He did not get away with it, Mrs. Subbert. He is dead. He died last night. You mean it was him? The man next door? Didn't I say he had an evil face? My daughter says I've got a nose for that kind of thing. Were you acquainted with any of the Armstrong family, madame? No, they moved in a very exclusive circle. But I've always heard Mrs. Armstrong was a perfectly lovely woman and her husband worshipped her. Uh, Mrs. Hubbard, you have helped us very much. Oh, by the way, do you have a scarlet silk kimono? Mercy me, what a question. I've got two dressing gowns, as a matter of fact. There's a pink flannel one that was quite cosy on board ship and a purple silk affair my daughter gave me. Why do you want to know about a scarlet one? Tell me, it sounds interesting. Well, you see, madame, someone in a kimono of that color entered your compartment or that of Mr. Ratchet last night. I can tell you that no scarlet kimono came into my room. Then she must have gone into Mr. Ratchet's. That wouldn't surprise me any. Do you mean that you heard a woman's voice in his room? Well, yes, as a matter of fact, I did. But when I asked you just now if you heard anything from next door, you said you only heard Mr. Ratchet snoring. Well, it wasn't a very nice thing to talk about. Hmm. Was this before or after you thought there was a man in your compartment? It was before, of course. He wouldn't have had a woman talking to him if he was dead, would he? <laughs> Decidedly not. Ah, you must think I am... A very slow witted. And I didn't think there was a man in my room. He was there, all right. And what's more, I've got proof of it. You see this button? It's certainly not one of mine. I found it this morning when I got up. But this is a button from the tunic of a wagonly attendant. Perhaps it came off the conductor's uniform when he was searching your room last night. I just don't know what's the matter with you people. Why can't you just accept what I saw? I was reading a magazine. When I turned the light out, I placed the magazine on a little case that's standing over by the window. Have you got that? Yes, madame. Very well, then. The conductor looked under the seat from near the door, and then he bolted the communicating door to the next compartment. He never went anywhere near the window. He was only in my compartment a minute or so. Well, this morning, that button was lying right on top of the magazine. What do you call that, I should like to know? 
That, madame, I call evidence. So now do you believe that the killer was in my compartment last night? Well, do you? I simply cannot understand it, Monsieur Poirot. The button that Mrs. Abbott found is undoubtedly that of a wagonly conductor's uniform. It is certainly very curious. But does this mean that Michel is somehow involved? Oh, it simply cannot be. He has been working for the company for 15 years. The button suggests possibilities, I agree, Monsieur Book, but we must not allow ourselves to be sidetracked. Let us consider the facts. The murdered man of Ratchet was the kidnapper and killer of the Armstrong baby in America. Our most likely course of investigation is to pursue a link between one of the passengers and the Armstrong family. Uh, we still have eight passengers to question. Um, in the first class, there are Princess Dragomirov, Count Andrény and his beautiful young countess, Colonel Arbuthnot, and Mr. Hardman. Who is an American, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. And then there are the passengers in the second class you have not yet interviewed. Fräulein Schmidt, the princess's maid, Antonio Foscarelli, Miss Dabenham, and the Swedish lady, Miss Olsen. Ah, the one who looks rather like a sheep that has lost its way. Uh, we. <laughs> well, let us commence with her. And the dead man was responsible for this terrible crime? Yes, mademoiselle. And to think that I nearly walked into his compartment last night. You opened his door? It was a stupid mistake. I was much ashamed. But did you actually see him, mademoiselle? Yes, I did. He was reading a book. I apologized quickly and closed the door. And uh, did he say... Anything to you? He laughed and he said... Uh, he said something which I did not quite understand. I suspect it was not very polite. And what did you do after that? It was the American lady I had gone to see, Mrs. Hubbard. I had a headache and she had offered me some aspirin. And did she ask you whether the communicating door between her compartment and that of Mr. Ratchet was bolted? Yes, she did. I had a look, and it was. Uh, I understood why she was frightened. I would not have liked to have slept next to such a man. And after that? I went back to my own compartment. I took the aspirin, and I lay down. Mm. Now, you are sharing your compartment, I believe, Mademoiselle Olsen. Yes, I am, with an uh, English lady. She was coming from Baghdad. And... Uh, uh, did you have the upper or the lower berth? Uh, the lower one. And did the English lady, Miss Debenham, did she leave the compartment after the train left Vinkovtsi? No, no. I am sure that she did not. I am very light sleeper. If she had come down from this berth above, I should have awakened. Did you yourself leave the compartment at any time? No, monsieur. Not until this morning. Hmm. Uh, tell me, Mademoiselle Olsen... Do you have a scarlet silk kimono? Scarlet silk? What should I do with such a garment? I have a good, comfortable dressing gown of Jaeger material. And the, the lady with you, Miss Debenham, uh, what color is her dressing gown? Uh, she has a pale mauve, uh, such as you buy in the East. Have you ever been in America, Mademoiselle Olsen? Oh, no. I very nearly went there once. I was to go as a companion to an invalid lady, but at the last moment it was all cancelled. It was a great pity. I wished very much to see the United States. Mm. 
Thank you, mademoiselle. That is all. That is all? Yes, mademoiselle Olsen. Do you wish I ask anyone to come along to talk with you? Uh, for the moment, no. <laughs> Goodbye, then. I will tell you who is the murderer, my friend. It is Foscarelli, the big Italian who looks like a bandit. That is the way they kill in Sicily, with a knife. And not once, but many times. Mm. It says in his passport that he was born in Milan. What difference does it make? It is quite obvious. He and this man, Ratchet, were in the kidnapping business together. Uh, what did you say Ratchet's real name was? Cassetti. Well, there you are, then. Criminals always fall out with one another. Cassetti must have double-crossed this man, Foscarelli, and this is his revenge. Uh, forgive me for disturbing you, Monsieur Book, but the chef is most anxious to speak with you. He is very concerned about the supplies of food. Uh, what is he to do for fresh vegetables? Uh, Michel, uh, this button was found in the American lady's compartment. It is yours, I think. Oh, no, Monsieur Book. There must be some mistake. As you can see, I have lost no button. It and is I... fairly certain that this button was dropped by the man who was in Mrs. Hubbard's compartment last night when she rang the bell. But I have told you, Monsieur Book, there was no one there. The lady must have imagined it. Even so, Michel, I should like you to talk to the other conductors on the train and make sure that they all have their buttons. Yes, Monsieur Bou. And uh, perhaps you would be so kind as to ask the Princess Dragomirov whether she wishes to present herself here or whether she would prefer me to wait upon her in her own compartment. Yes, Monsieur. Of course. Uh, Monsieur Bouc, perhaps you should go and call upon the chef, my friend. You have the good name of the Compagnie des Vagondis to consider... Uh, uh, oui, bien sûr. But uh, what about the investigation? Oh, I have no doubt that somehow or other I shall manage to conduct it in your absence. There is no reason why I should be treated differently from any of the other passengers... A murder has taken place. You must interview everyone. I understand my duty, monsieur. You are most amiable, madame. What can I tell you? You are traveling home from Istanbul, I understand. Yes. I have been staying at the Austrian embassy. Now, madame la princesse, for the purposes of my investigation, I need a brief account of your movements last night from dinner onwards, if you would be so kind. Movements? I didn't move at all. The conductor made up my bed while I was in the dining car. I retired immediately after dinner. I read until eleven the memoir of Saint-Simon and then turned out my light. But I couldn't get to sleep. I suffer from a rheumatic complaint that is particularly disturbing at night. Most distressing. I can understand, madame. At about a quarter to one, I rang for my maid and asked her to massage me. She then read aloud to me until I felt sleepy. I cannot say exactly at what time she left me. It might have been... Half past one, it might have been later. Your maid, now, what is her name? Hildegard Schmidt. And has she been with you for a long time? 
Our people came from an estate of my late husband's in Germany. She has been in my service for 15 years. You have been in America, I presume, madame? Many times, monsieur. Were you at any time acquainted with the Armstrong family, the family who suffered the great tragedy of the kidnapping and death of their little daughter? They were personal friends of mine, monsieur. Ah. You knew Colonel Armstrong well, then? I knew him slightly, but his wife, Sonia, was my goddaughter, and I was on terms of close friendship with her mother, Linda Arden. She was one of the great actresses of the world. In France, she would have been a renowned Fedro and Romac. I always thought her wasted on the superficial entertainments of Broadway. Uh, she is dead? No, no, she is alive, but she lives in complete retirement and seclusion. Her health is very delicate, and she has to lie on his sofa most of the time. But why should you wish to know about the Armstrongs? I will explain, madame. The man who was killed last night was the man who was responsible for the kidnapping and murder of the Armstrong child. You mean that odious man was Cassetti? Then I can only say that his murder was entirely justified. Can you tell me anything about Sonia Armstrong's younger sister? Do you know where she is living? I cannot tell you, monsieur. I have lost touch with the younger generation... I believe that she married an Englishman some time ago, and presumably she went to live in England. But I cannot recall his name. Perhaps it will come to me. Is there anything further you wish to ask me? Only one thing, Madame la Princesse. A somewhat personal question. What is the color of your dressing gown? I must suppose you have a reason for such a question. My dressing gown is of blue satin. I am much obliged to you for answering my questions with such understanding. You will excuse me, monsieur, but may I ask you your name? Your face is somehow familiar to me. My name, madame, is Hercule Poirot. Hercule Poirot. Yes, I remember now. This is destiny. Au revoir, monsieur. Oh, oh it is nothing to be excited about, I'm afraid, mon ami. They are sounding the whistle in the hope that someone may hear us. Things are becoming serious. We have food only for another 24 hours. There is no mineral water and a precious little caviar. It is not the kind of service that our passengers expect on board the Orient Express. And to cap it all, you have a murderer on the train. At least it provides a little divertissement. But... Um, are you any nearer a solution? I have not yet completed my investigation. So, who are you going to question next? The Comte and Comtesse Andrény. 
They are from the Hungarian embassy. You must tread very cautiously there, my friend. I did not consider it necessary that my wife, the Countess, should come along to see you as well. There is little that we can do to assist you. We were asleep and heard nothing. Are you aware of the identity of the deceased, Monsieur le Comte? I understood that it was the American, with the decidedly unpleasant face. I mean, did you know the name of the man? He was never introduced to me. Surely his name was on his passport. The name on his passport was Ratchet, but his real name was Cassetti. Does that mean anything to you? Nothing at all, I'm afraid. You have perhaps been in America, Monsieur le Comte? I was in the embassy in Washington for a year. You knew perhaps the Armstrong family? Armstrong? It is difficult to recall. One meets so many people. But to come back to the matter of this man's death, what more can I do to assist you? I need to know at what hour did you retire last night? You and the Countess have separate but adjoining compartments, I think. Numbers 12 and 13. We asked the conductor to make up number 12 for the night while we were in the dining car. On returning, we sat in the other compartment and played piquet for a while. About 11 o'clock, my wife retired to bed for the night. The conductor made up my compartment. I also went to bed. I slept until morning. And Madame la Comtesse? Oh, my wife always takes a sleeping draught when travelling by train. She took her usual dose of trional. I'm sorry I'm not able to assist you in any way. Now, if possible, I would like to have a little word with Madame la Comtesse. It will not be necessary. She can tell you nothing more than I already have. Doubtless, doubtless. Nevertheless, I must see her. It will be a mere formality, but you understand it is necessary for my report. As you wish, monsieur. I will ask my wife to call on you. He didn't look very pleased. What on earth did you say to him? Do you have the passports of the Comte and Comtesse, Monsieur Bouc? Uh, oui, it is here. Uh, there is only one. Uh, it is a joint passport. Thank you. Accompanied by his wife. Um, oh, someone has dropped a spot of grease on it. What does it say? Elena Maria, I think. Maiden name Goldenberg, age 20. It is a diplomatic passport. We must be careful, my friend, not to give offence. Ah, we are investigating a murder, Monsieur Bouc. Even so, the Andrenis are important people, mm -hmm. and it is important to the Compagnie des Wagonlis that the Hungarian never fear, government... Never fear, mon vieux. I am behaving with the utmost tact. Uh, Monsieur Bouc... Uh, oui, Michel, what is it? I have uh, checked with the other conductors. Uh, neither of them has lost a button... And they swear that they have never been near the compartment of Madame Aubert. Ah? Uh, bien. Uh, thank you, Michel. Uh, Madame la Comtesse Andrigny is here, Monsieur Poirot. Then ask her to be so kind as to come along. Uh, yes, Monsieur. Will you come this way, uh, Madame la Comtesse? I beseech you, Poirot, do not say anything that may upset her. I understand that you wish to question me, Monsieur. A mere formality, Madame la Comtesse. Please sit down. It is only to ask you if you saw or heard anything last night that may throw any light on this matter of the murder. Nothing at all, monsieur. I was asleep. You did not hear, for instance, a commotion going on in the compartment next to yours? The American lady who occupies it became quite hysterical and rang for the conductor. I heard nothing, monsieur. 
I had taken a sleeping draught. Of course. Well, I need not detain you any further. Thank you, Monsieur. Yeah, oh, oh, just uh, one little detail. These particulars here on your passport, your maiden name, age, and so forth, they are correct? Of course they are correct. You will forgive me for asking, but did you accompany your husband on his visit to Washington? No. We were not married then. Our wedding took place only last year. Of course, yes. How stupid of me. Uh, uh, by the way, does your husband smoke? Yes, he does. A pipe? No. Cigarettes and cigars. What makes you ask that question? Oh, you understand detectives ask all sorts of questions. Uh, for instance, um, what is the colour of your dressing gown, Madame la Comtesse? It is corn-coloured chiffon. Is it really important? Very important indeed. Forgive me, but I do not quite understand what your function is in all this. I thought that there were no detectives on the train on its passage through Yugoslavia. I am not a Yugoslavian detective, madame. I am an international detective. You mean that you belong to the League of Nations? I belong to the world, madame. Thank you for your cooperation. I hope that I have been of some assistance, monsieur. I assure you of great assistance. Well, monsieur Book, was I sufficiently discreet? The very so, merci. <laughs> A very pretty woman. But uh, it didn't advance us much. No. Two people who saw nothing and heard nothing. I think that we should interview the handsome Colonel Abathnot next. Well, I fear that you will not find him very cooperative. I don't see that it's any of your business why I decided to return from India by the overland route. And nevertheless, Colonel... If you really must know, I wanted to take a look at Earl of the Caldies. Of course. And there happened to be an old friend of mine in Baghdad whom I haven't seen in five years. Is that good enough for you? I understand that the young English lady, Miss Debenham, was also returning from Baghdad. Did you meet her there, perhaps? No, I certainly did not. I first met Miss Debenham in the restaurant car of the Taurus Express, travelling from Kirkuk to Nisibin. Colonel, I am about to appeal to you. You and Miss Debenham are both English. It is necessary that I should ask each of you your opinion of the other. What the devil do you mean by that? The crime was most probably committed by a woman. It has all the marks of that. You can't possibly suspect Miss Debenham. As an Englishman, you can perceive things about her that I cannot. What sort of person is she, Colonel? You seem to have some very peculiar notions of the way English people behave. Miss Debenham is a lady. And therefore she could not possibly be implicated in this crime? The very idea is absurd. The man was a perfect stranger. She'd never seen him before. Did she tell you this? Not in so many words. She commented on his somewhat unpleasant appearance. If a woman really is concerned, though I can't imagine on what assumption you could have come to that conclusion, Miss Debenham is most certainly not the person you are looking for. Very well. Let us pass on to matters of fact. 
We have reason to believe that the crime was committed at a quarter past one last night. It is part of our necessary routine to ask everyone on the train what he or she was doing at the time. Well, to the best of my recollection, at a quarter past one, I was talking to that young American fellow, McQueen, the secretary to the dead man. We were in his compartment. He was a friend or acquaintance of yours? Never saw him before he got on this train. We got talking about India, and he seemed to have some very peculiar notions about how we run the place. I thought it my duty to set him to rights. We went on talking till nearly two o'clock. I believe that you got out when the train stopped at Vinkovtsi, is that so? We both did, McQueen and I, that is. But only for about a minute, the cold was something frightful. Made me quite grateful to get back to the fug. Though, as a rule, I think these trains are scandalously overheated. It is very difficult to please everyone. The English, they open everything, then others come along and close everything. What is one to do? I can't understand why you fellows have such a rooted objection to fresh air. Yes, now, Colonel, cast your mind back. You and Mr. McQueen return to the train. You sit down and smoke. Perhaps a cigarette, perhaps a pipe. A, a pipe? For me, McQueen smokes cigarettes. You carry on with your talk about the British Empire. It is late now. Many people have retired for the night. Did anyone pass your door? Now, think carefully. It's difficult to say. The conductor went by... And... Oh, wait a minute. There was a woman, I think. Uh, a woman? Can you describe her? Was she old or young? I didn't see her. I just heard a, a rustle as she went by. And a scent of some sort. Oh, what kind of scent? Can you describe it? Well, uh, it was rather fruity, if you know what I mean. The kind of thing you could smell a hundred yards away. And then again, it was one of those things that you notice without noticing, if you know what I mean. I know. Now, tell me, Colonel, have you ever been in America? Never. No desire to go there, either. Did you ever know a Colonel Armstrong? I've known two or three. It was a chap called Selby Armstrong got blown to pieces at Passchendaele. No, no, no. I mean the Colonel Armstrong who married the daughter of the American actress Linda Arden and whose only child was kidnapped and killed. I never actually came across him, but I know who you mean, of course. Toby Armstrong. Everybody liked him. A very distinguished soldier. He got the VC. The man who was killed last night was the man responsible for the murder of Colonel Armstrong's child. Then he deserved what was coming to him. But I'd sooner have seen him hanged. Or put in the electric chair. Do you prefer law and order to private vengeance? A man ought to be put on trial and judged by a properly constituted jury. I don't know of a better system. Yes, I can see that that would be your view. Well, I do not think that there is anything else I need ask you, Colonel. Uh, there's something I've just remembered. Yes, Colonel, what is it? Well, maybe nothing at all. But when I left McQueen and got back to my compartment... I noticed that the door of the one beyond mine, the end one, you know... Yes, number 16. Well, the door of it was not quite closed. And the fellow inside peered out in a furtive sort of way. Then he quickly pulled the door to. Well, there's probably nothing in it, but it struck me as rather odd at the time. Thank you, Colonel. That is most interesting. Yeah, I'll be on my way, then. By the way, about Miss Debenham. Mm -hmm. You can take it from me... That she's all right. She's Pakasab. <clears throat> Good day, gentlemen. 
What does he mean, poker sob? It means that Miss Debenham's father and brothers were at the same kind of school as Colonel Arbuthnot. I see. Then it has nothing to do with the crime at all. What about the man who the colonel saw peering round the door of his compartment? Number 16? Who is the passenger in number 16? Uh, Mr. Cyrus Hardman. He looks just like a gangster, but according to his passport, he's a traveling salesman for a company which sells uh, typewriter ribbons. I think we should have him in next. I think I'd better come clean. I've heard of you, Mr. Poirot. You've got quite a reputation in our profession. In our profession? Typewriter ribbons? <laughs> the passport's a bit of a bluff, I'm afraid. I work for McNeil's detective agency in New York. Oh. I think you had better explain, Mr. Hartman. Uh, I've been trailing a couple of dope smugglers. The trail went cold in Istanbul. I was going to go home with my tail between my legs when I got this letter. Hmm? You have been pointed out to me as an operator for the McNeil detective agency. Kindly report to my suite at the Tocatlion Hotel at four o'clock this afternoon. S.E. Ratchet. He was a worried man, Mr. Poirot. He showed me a couple of letters that someone had sent to him. He wanted me to travel on the train back to Paris with him and see that nobody got him. I guess I didn't make out any too well. Did he give you any precise instructions? His idea was that I should travel in the compartment alongside his, but it was booked... The only place I could get was number 16, but I figured it was in a good strategic position. The only way a killer could come was through the rear end door to the platform. He would have to pass right by my compartment. Did he give you any idea why his life was being threatened? No. He just said someone was out for his blood. You knew who he really was, of course. You recognized him. Uh, I, I don't get you. Ratchet was Cassetti, the Armstrong kidnapper. Cassetti? No, Mr. Poirot, I didn't know. I was way out west at the time of the kidnapping. I suppose I must have seen photographs of him in the papers, but I wouldn't recognize my own mother when a press photographer had done with her. <laughs> Very true, Mr. Hardman. Hmm, I'm not surprised someone had it in for Ratchet. Did he give you any clue as to the identity of the person who was threatening him? Well, I know what he looked like. Mr. Ratchet described him to me. He described him? Yeah, he told me to be on the lookout for a small man, dark, with a high-pitched, womanish kind of voice. A small, dark man? He said he didn't think that he would strike on the first night out. A small, dark man with a womanish voice? Mm, that's the way he described him. Thank you, Mr. Hartman. You have been of great assistance to us. Oh, it's good to know that, Mr. Poirot. If there is anything at all I can do, don't hesitate to ask me. You know where to find me. A little dark man with a high-pitched voice. There is no one on the train even remotely like that. Exactly. So all our calculations are wrong. We shall have to go back to the beginning. Not so, my friend. I have an idea that this little man with a woman's voice is someone we are going to meet again. But... Who can he possibly be? For the first time, I begin to have a glimpse of what may have happened last night. The little man who could not have been on the train. The mysterious lady in the red kimono who was in Ratchet's compartment. What about that? The pipe cleaner. The woman's handkerchief. The watch that stopped so conveniently. It is a very amusing little game that is being played for our benefit. 
Within a very little time, my friend, I shall be able to tell you who committed the murder on the Orient Express. Hercule Poirot is not so easily fooled. So, Monsieur Poirot, the murderer is most probably a member of the Armstrong family. Yes, Dr. Constantine, it is a strong possibility. But we have found no direct connection with the family, apart from the Princess Dagomirov. Who, in any case, would not have had the strength to deliver such a fatal blow. Mm. Which of the passengers have we not yet interviewed? Eh bien, uh, Princess Dagomirov's maid, Hildegard Schmidt, Miss Dabenham, who seems to interest you so much, and the Italian, Foscarelli. I think you should interview the Italian. Very well, Monsieur Book. Since you are convinced that this is the kind of murder that only an excitable Latin could have committed, let us get it over with and talk to Signor Foscarelli. Of course I have been in America many, many times. You see, I am an agent for the Forte Cars, so naturally I go to America. It was there that I discovered my natural genius for salesmanship. Ernest Potter, you must have heard of him. He is very big in Detroit. He says it to me, Foscarelli, he say, in all of my born days... Yeah, in your many journeys to the United States, did you ever meet the murdered man, Mr. Ratchet? Never, but I know the type. Very respectable, very well addressed, but underneath it all, something is wrong. Out of my experience, I should say he is a crook. I give you my opinion for what it is worth. You are quite right. Right, it was Cassetti, the kidnapper. Huh? What did I tell you? You remember the Armstrong case? No, I do not quite remember. It uh, was a little girl, was it not? A terrible thing. But even in a great civilization like America... Did it... you ever come across any members of the Armstrong family? I come across so many people. In a week I sell 20 or 30 cars, which means at least 30 or 40 people. I cannot remember every single one. Now tell me, if you please, your exact movements last night from dinner onwards. With pleasure. I stay here in the dining car as long as I can. I talk to the American gentleman at my table. Uh, Mr. Hardman. That's right. He sells a typewriter ribbons. Just imagine. And then I go back to my compartment. It is empty. The miserable English servant who shares it with me is away attending his master, the kidnapper. At last he comes back, pulling a long face as usual. He will not to talk. Simply says yes and no. They're a miserable race, the English. He sits in the corner, very stiff, and reads a woman's novel. Uh, then the conductor comes and makes our bed. Which was your berth? The one on the top. I get up there, I smoke, I read. The little Englishman has, uh, I think, the toothache. He gets out a bottle of stuff that smells very strong. Presently, I sleep. Whenever I wake, I hear him groaning. Do you know if he left the compartment during the night? No, I do not think so. I would certainly have heard him. Did he ever speak of his master, Mr. Ratchet? But he never speak of anything. He is not a simpatico. He's a fish. Is that all? For the time being, yes. Thank you, Signor Foscarelli. Allora, good day to you, gentlemen. <sighs> well, my friend... What do you think of your principal suspect? I don't like him. He's a big mouth. Perhaps, but that does not make him a murderer. I do not think this is a Latin crime of passion. It is too far-sighted. It is a crime that shows traces of a cool, resourceful, deliberate brain. 
I think an Anglo-Saxon brain. Perhaps it is time that we saw the English governess, Miss Debenham. I'm afraid I have nothing at all to tell you. I simply went to bed and slept. Does it distress you very much, mademoiselle, that crime should have been committed on this train? I haven't really thought about it from that point of view. No, I can't say that I'm at all distressed. You are very Anglo-Saxon, are you not, Miss Debenham? You do not make a show of the emotions. I don't see why I should put on a fit of hysterics to prove my sensibility. After all, people die every day. They die, yes. But murder is a little more unusual. Were you acquainted with the dead man? I saw him for the first time when taking lunch in here yesterday. And how did he strike you? I hardly noticed him. Did he impress you as an evil personality? <laughs> I can't really say that I thought about it. Hmm. You are, I think, a little contemptuous of the way I go about my inquiries. This is not the way it would be conducted in England, you think? Seems a complete waste of time. Whether or not I like Mr. Ratchet's features does not seem to me likely to be helpful in finding out who killed him. Do you know who this Mr. Ratchet really was? <laughs> Mrs. Hubbard has been telling everybody. And what do you think of the Armstrong affair? It's quite abominable. Disgusting. Now tell me, mademoiselle, do you intend to return to Baghdad after your holiday in England? I'm not sure. Why is that? Baghdad is rather out of things. I think I should prefer a post in London if I hear of a suitable one. I see. No, I thought perhaps you might be going to get married. I don't think that's any of your business. Tell me, what is your opinion of the lady who shares your compartment, Miss Olsen? She seems a pleasant, simple creature. What colour is her dressing gown? Kind of brownish colour. Natural wool. And your own? Pale mauve. You do not have a scarlet dressing gown, for example? No, that is not mine. Whose then? Well, how should I know? Well, you said that is not mine. Implying that such a thing does belong to someone else. That is so. Whose is it? I don't know. I woke up this morning at five o'clock with a feeling that the train had been standing still for a long time. I opened the door and looked out into the corridor, thinking we might be in a station. I saw someone in a scarlet kimono some way down the corridor. And do you have any idea who it was? Was she fair or dark? I can't say. She was wearing a shingle cap and I only saw the back of her head. And her build? Tallish and slim, I should judge, but it's difficult to say. The kimono was embroidered with dragons. Dragons, just so. Will that be all? Yes, I need not keep you further, mademoiselle. Then I shall return to my compartment. Thank you. I do not quite understand, my friend. What were you trying to do? I was looking for a flaw. A flaw? Yes, in the armor of that young lady's self-possession. I wanted to shake her sang-froid. Did I succeed? I do not know. But why should you wish to do that? She seems a charming young lady. The last person in the world to be involved in a crime of this kind. Oh, you must, both of you, rid yourselves of the obsession that this is a sudden unpremeditated crime. I suspect Miss Devenham for two reasons. The first is that conversation I overheard from the Taurus Express. You will remember, Monsieur Book, I told you that she used the words, when it's all over, when it's all behind us. But that doesn't make her a murderess. It could have meant anything. What is your other reason? Because she has just the kind of cool, intelligent, resourceful brain to have planned this crime. I'm sure you are completely wrong, my friend. She's certainly not the criminal type. Ah, well, let us talk to the final name on our list. 
The princess is maid Hildegard Schmidt. Uh, could you ask Pierre Michel to get her? Oh, no. There was nothing unusual about the princess sending for me during the night. She sleeps badly, and sometimes she is in pain. And what time would this have been? I do not know, monsieur. I was asleep. The attendant came to wake me. And you got up and put on your red dressing gown. What makes you think I have a red dressing gown? Mine is dark blue. In any case, Her Excellency would not have liked me to attend her in my dressing gown. I put on my clothes. You must forgive my little joke. <laughs> And uh, what did you do when you got there? I massaged her neck and shoulders, and I read aloud to her for a little while. But it was very cold in spite of the heating. I went to get the princess a rug from my compartment. I put it over her, poured her out a little mineral water, turned out the light, and returned to my own compartment. And did you meet anyone in the corridor? There was the conductor, of course. And what was he doing? He came out of one of the compartments, monsieur. Which one? Can you tell us? It was about the middle of the coach, monsieur, two or three doors down from Madame la Princesse. He nearly ran into me. When was this? When I was returning from my compartment with the rug. And he came out of the compartment and collided with you. In which direction was he going? Towards the dining car, monsieur. A bell began ringing, but I do not think he went to answer it. Ah, the poor conductor must have had a heavy night, first waking you and then running about answering bells. Oh, no. It was not the same conductor as the one who woke me. It was another one. Had you seen him before? No, monsieur. Do you think you could recognize him again? I think so. I think we should have all the conductors in here at once. I agree. If you would be so kind, monsieur Bouc. I will see to it straight away. Mm -hmm. Have you ever been in America, Fräulein Schmidt? Never, monsieur. You have already heard, perhaps, who the murdered man really was? Yes, I have heard. The good God should not allow such things. But he has seen that justice is done. Tell me, is uh, this your handkerchief, Fräulein Schmidt? It has the letter H, you see. That is a lady's handkerchief, a very expensive one. It is hand-embroidered. It comes from Paris, I imagine. Do you perhaps know whose it is? I? Uh, no, monsieur. Uh, par ici. Come this way, monsieur. <coughs> uh, <coughs> these are the three sleeping car conductors, Fräulein Schmidt. Now, will you be so kind as to tell us which is the one you met last night when you were going with the rug to the princess? There must be some mistake. Uh, what do you mean? None of these men is the conductor I saw last night. But these are the only conductors on the train. These are big, tall men. The man I saw last night was small and very dark. He had a little moustache, and he had a high little weak voice, almost like a woman's. I am certain of it. Surely someone must get here soon. They can't just leave us marooned out here forever. I said that we should hear again about this small, dark man with a womanish voice. It is the person Ratchet told Hardman to be on the lookout for. Mrs. Hubbard found a wagon D button in her room. But if this man exists, where is he now? Every part of the train has been searched most thoroughly. Then he can only be a passenger on the train or in disguise. But there is no man of that size or shape on the train. So... We have two mysterious strangers, the wagonly conductor and the woman in the red kimono. Who are these two people? And, incidentally, where are the wagonly uniform and the red kimono? We must search the passengers' luggage. They won't like it, but I don't see that we have any alternative. You are right. But I will make a prophecy. You know where they are? 
you will find the scarlet kimono in the baggage of one of the men, and you will find the vacuumly uniform in a suitcase belonging to Hildegard Schmidt. But she struck me as being an utterly harmless ah, person. No, 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 my friend, that is not what I meant. If Hildegard Schmidt is guilty, the uniform might be found in her baggage, but if she is innocent, it certainly will be. Oh, man! What? Help! What on earth is going on? Oh, I am here, Mrs. Hubbard. What has happened? It's horrible. It's just too horrible. It's in my sponge bag. What about your sponge bag, madame? What is in it? I can't tell you. It's too awful. I think perhaps, Monsieur Book, if you were to give Mrs. Hubbard a little cognac... Uh, will you, yes, but you. I'm a lifelong teetotaler. I never touch uh, spirits. Nevertheless, madame, you have obviously had a great shock, and I figure... Well, you're... if it's strictly medical... But of course, madame. Of course. Good. I shall go and inspect the lady's sponge bag. I would be grateful if you would accompany me, Dr. Constantine. But what about Mrs. Hubbard? Oh, cognac will work wonders. And I think it is most important for you to come with me. <coughs> Very well. Not too much, mind. Only a little drop. It is as I expected, Doctor. Take a close look at it. Mm. Could it be the murder weapon? A straight-bladed dagger. Stained, as you see, with blood. It is almost certainly the dagger which was used to kill Ratchet. It could account for almost any of the wounds. So, the sponge bag was hanging on the door handle. Hmm. hmm. How curious. We locked the door from the other side, you remember? Yes, that is true. It agrees, does it not? The murderer passes through this carriage. As he shuts the communicating door behind him, he feels the sponge bag, and he slips the dagger inside it. Then he goes out through the other door into the corridor. Mm, as you say, yes, that is how it must have happened. And yet, Mrs. Hubbard said she could not see the bolt because of the sponge bag. Mm. I can't possibly spend another night in that compartment. I'd rather sleep in the corridor if my daughter could see me now. Madame, She'd be... no one could possibly oh. allow you to spend another night there. Your baggage shall be taken immediately to another compartment in the Belgrade coach. Uh, one moment, if you please. There is a little matter of routine. You permit, madame, that I make a search of your baggage? Whatever for? We are about to carry out an inspection of all the passengers' luggage. I do not need to remind you of your recent most unpleasant experience, your sponge bag. Mercy on us. Don't let me stop you, Monsieur Poirot. I just couldn't stand another shock like that. Go ahead. Search everything. Ah, this may well be a complete waste of time and effort. Nothing in Mrs. Hubbard's luggage, nothing in Hartman's, nothing in the Princess Dragomirov's. And as for Colonel Abathnot... The pipe cleaners. ...which were identical with the one we found on the floor of Ratchet's compartment. But it is not in the Colonel's character to commit a murder in that fashion. And when you have said that, you have said everything. So, who is next? The Comte and Comtesse Antreni. Ooh, that may be extremely awkward. They hold diplomatic passports. Their luggage is exempt from examination. By the customs, yes. But a murder inquiry is different. All the same. We don't wish to cause complications. Now, do not distress yourself, my friend. It will not cause trouble for the Compagnie de Varonly. The Comte and Comtesse will be reasonable. At any rate, let us make an attempt. Entrez. 
Pardon, Monsieur le Comte, Madame la Comtesse. Pray forgive this intrusion. It is necessary for us to make a search of all the baggage on this train. In most cases it is a mere formality, but I am afraid that it has to be done. Monsieur Bouc has suggested that as you hold a diplomatic passport, you may reasonably claim to be exempt from such a search. It is very considerate of you, Monsieur Bouc, but I don't think that I care for an exception to be made in my case. Oh, Monsieur le Comte is most accommodating. I should prefer that our baggage be examined, like that of the other passengers. You do not object, I hope, Elena. Not at all. Go ahead. Thank you, Madame la Comtesse. Uh, this is your suitcase? Yes, it is. Oh, <laughs> the label on it is wet. It must be something to do with the condensation. What else can you expect with snow on every side? It is a mere formality, mademoiselle, but uh, nevertheless it is necessary. Uh, with your permission, Miss Debenham? Oh, go ahead. Here are the keys. You are most understanding. Miss Olson? Oh, yes, of course, if you say it's necessary. Um, you have become a good friend of Mrs. Hubbard, have you not? Yes. We have moved her into another compartment in the next coach, but she is still very upset as a consequence of finding the dagger in her sponge bag. Oh. I have ordered coffee to be sent to her, but I think she needs someone to talk to. Oh, poor lady, of course I will go to her. It must have been terrible shock. I will take some smelling salts. Uh, they are there. Could you pass them? There you are, mademoiselle. Thank you. My case is not locked. Why did you send her away? I do not understand you, Miss Devon. You wanted to get me alone, wasn't that it? Mademoiselle, we have a proverb... A quis excuse sacus. Is that what you were going to say? You must give me credit for a certain amount of observation and common sense. For some reason or other, you've got it into your head that I know something about this sordid business. This is your suitcase? Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Well, I will not beat about the bush. I shall ask you to tell me the meaning of certain words I heard you speak when you and Colonel Abathnot got out of the Taurus Express to stretch the legs, as you call it, at Konya. You said to him, not now, when it's all over, when it's behind us... What did you mean by those words, Miss Debenham? Do you think I meant murder? It is I who am asking you. Those words had a meaning, but not one that I can tell you. I can only give you my solemn word of honour that I have never set eyes on this man, Ratchet, in my life until I saw him on this train. And you refuse to explain those words? If you like to put it that way. The words were private. They had to do with a task that I'd undertaken. A task that is now ended... What do you mean? It is ended, is it not? Why should you think so? Let me recall you to another incident. There was a delay to the train on the day we were due to reach Istanbul. You, normally so calm, so self-controlled, were very agitated. I didn't want to miss my connection. But the Orient Express runs every day of the week. Why was it so important to be on this particular train? You don't seem to realise that one may have friends awaiting one's arrival in London, that a day's delay upsets arrangements and causes a lot of annoyance. Ah, it is like that. Yet now, when we are trapped here in the snow, your manner is quite different. You are calm, philosophical almost. You do not answer, mademoiselle. Don't you think you're making rather a fuss about nothing, monsieur Poirot? <laughs> it is perhaps a fault with us detectives. We expect the behavior to be always consistent. Have you finished examining my luggage? Oh, thank you, yes. You still refuse to tell me the meaning of those words, when it's behind us? I have nothing more to say. Ah. 
It does not matter. I shall find out. Good day, Miss Devlin. And I found nothing in McQueen's luggage or Masterman's or Foscarelli's. Which leaves us only with Fräulein Schmidt. Yes, monsieur? Uh, forgive us disturbing you, Fräulein Schmidt, but we are making a search of the passenger's luggage. Of course. Come in. Perhaps we could start with the suitcase on the rack. As you wish. Uh, I will get it down. And do you have the keys, Fräulein Schmidt? It is not locked. <gasps> to leave a god. What on earth is that doing there? You remember my little prophecy, Monsieur Book? The wagon lee uniform. Oh, but that is not mine. I did not put it there. I've not opened that suitcase since we left Istanbul. Do not be agitated. We believe you. I am as sure you did not hide the uniform as I am sure you are a good cook. You are a good cook, I know. I believe so. All my ladies have said that I am. How could the uniform have got there? I will tell you what happened. This man, the man you saw in the Vangoli uniform, comes out of the dead man's compartment. He collides with you, and of course he had hoped that no one would see him. He must get rid of the uniform. He watches you go into the princess's compartment, and he knows that yours will be empty. He slips in, removes the uniform, and puts it into your suitcase. Yes, that is how it must have happened. And then? Ah, that we have to find out. Oh, you see here? A button is missing. Mm -hmm. The button that was found in Mrs. Hubbard's compartment. And in the pocket, a conductor's pass key. Here is the explanation of how our man was able to go through locked doors. With this key, could go anywhere. Mm. One mystery remains. The scarlet kimono. We have not found it. Hey, it is indeed a mystery. <sighs> well, there is nothing more to be found here at any rate. Thank you, Florian Schmidt. And uh, do not worry yourself. I do not see how I can help it, monsieur. We may as well go back to the dining car. We know now all that we can know. We have the evidence of the passengers, the evidence of our eyes. We need now to turn over all these facts in our brains to use our little grey cells. Perhaps you might ask Dr. Constantine to join us. If you think it necessary. Most certainly. I will be with you in a moment. I, um, I need the cigarettes from my compartment. Ah, someone appears to be taking an interest in us at last. An army aircraft. Well, <laughs> that should make him take notice of us. He's dipping his wings. Well... At least they know that we are here. Oh. It makes it even more urgent to clear up this business before the police arrive. Ah, Monsieur Parot. You cannot imagine what I found in my compartment, neatly folded up on top of my suitcase. A scarlet kimono embroidered with dragons. <laughs> it is a challenge, a defiance, and Hercule Poirot will take it up. But where on earth does one start? We found nothing in the passenger's luggage that we were not intended to find. And as for their evidence, he told us nothing at all. Oh, yes. There were one or two points of interest. Oh, we? I didn't notice anything. Do you remember, for instance, what young Mr. McQueen said about his employer, Mr. Ratchet? He was hampered by knowing no languages. Oh, we what of it. You do not see? When the conductor Michel answered Mr. Ratchet's bell, didn't Ratchet reply to him in French? Bravo, Doctor. 
He said ce n'est rien. Je me suis trompé. I heard the voice myself. You heard the voice? But you mean it may not have been that of Ratchet? Ah. Now I understand your reluctance to accept the evidence of the broken watch. Already at 23 minutes to one, Ratchet was dead. And the voice you heard was that of his murderer. No, no, no. Let us not go too fast. And do not let us assume more than we know. Let us approach the case from an entirely different angle. How was the murder intended to appear to everybody? You mean, if we had not run into the snow tree? Exactly, Doctor. The murder would probably not have been discovered until we reached the Italian frontier, which would have been early this morning, but for the snow. And the evidence would have been given to the Italian police. Mr. McQueen would have produced the threatening letters. Mr. Hartman would have told them that Ratchet had told him to be on the lookout for a little man with a high-pitched voice. Mrs. Hubbard would have been eager to tell how the murderer had been in her compartment. The button would have been found. You mean that the murder was planned to look like an outside job? Exactly. What time was the train scheduled to arrive at Broad? At two minutes to one in the morning. Then the assassin would have been presumed to have got off the train at Broad. Somebody would probably have noticed a strange little wagon conductor passing down the corridor. No suspicion would have been attached to any of the passengers. The murderer would have been the man Hardman had been told to look for. But where does all this get us? We are no nearer to finding the killers. Oh, no. We are very close now. We must first distinguish between the clues which were deliberately planted for us to find and those which were not. The pipe cleaner and the button were part of a little charade, but the handkerchief and the burnt letter were not. But why was the letter written in the first place? You have perhaps read the novel of Robert Louis Stevenson, Treasure Island? When I was a child. Do you remember the black spot? A notice of execution. A warning that a death sentence had been passed. And the letter was destroyed so that no one would connect the killing with the Armstrong family. But we have been over all this before. And uh, with the exception of the Princess Dagomirov, there is no one even remotely connected with the Armstrong family. That is what we are intended to believe. But the evidence of the handkerchief may prove otherwise. But surely, since that person knows that we have the handkerchief, she would do anything in her power to conceal her name. Aha, uh -huh. you would make quite a competent detective, Doctor. <laughs> and there is one person on this train who has done just that. But tell us. Please, please. No, you must preserve your patience until after dinner, my friends. I have observed that she is always the last person to leave the dining car. The dining car? Oh, mon Dieu. Thank goodness you have reminded me. I must talk to the chef. Pardon, madame. I think you have dropped your handkerchief. You are mistaken, monsieur. That is not my handkerchief. Are you sure of that, madame la comtesse? Perfectly sure. And yet it has your initial, the letter H. I do not understand you, monsieur. My initials are E.A. I think you are not telling me the truth. How dare you! That was why you concealed your real initials on your passport with a spot of grease. And why you covered your initials on your suitcase with a new label. A label which was still wet when I examined your luggage. Your name is Helena, not Elena. You are Helena Goldenberg, the younger daughter of Linda Arden. Helena Goldenberg, the sister of Sonia Armstrong, whose child the dead man Ratchet 
kidnapped and murdered. It is useless to deny it, madame. You are Helena Goldenberg, the sister of Sonia Armstrong. I'm not denying it. Yes, I am Sonia's sister. You did not acquaint me with that fact when I questioned you earlier, Madame la Comtesse. No, I did not. In fact, everything that you and your husband have told me was a tissue of lies. Monsieur, I cannot allow you no, to speak... No, Rudolph. Monsieur Poirot puts the facts rather brutally, but what he says is undeniable. I am glad you admit the fact so freely, Madame. Will you now tell me your reasons for doing so and for obscuring your Christian name on your passport? That was my doing entirely. Surely, Monsieur Poirot, you can guess my reason. The man who was killed is the man who murdered my baby niece, who killed my sister, who broke my brother-in-law's heart. Of all the people on this train, I alone had the best motive for killing him. And did you kill him, madame? I swear to you, Monsieur Poirot, that much as I may have been tempted to it, I never lifted a hand against the man. I too. I give you my word of honor that last night Elena never left her compartment. She took a sleeping pill exactly as I said. She is totally innocent. Then how do you explain the presence of your wife's handkerchief in the dead man's compartment? That handkerchief is not mine. In spite of the initial H? In spite of the initial. But after so many lies, how can I know that you are telling me the truth? I know that I cannot hope to make you believe me. But I assure you that it is so. The handkerchief is not mine. Then why did you alter the name on your passport? Because we heard that the handkerchief had been found with the initial H on it. I couldn't bear the thought of having the kidnapping raked up again and to be suspected and perhaps thrown into prison. I was scared stiff, Monsieur Poirot. Can't you understand? If I am inclined to believe you, madame, then you must help me. Help you? Yes. The reason for the murder lies in the past, in that tragedy which broke up your home and destroyed your young life. Take me back into the past, that I may find there the link that will explain the whole thing. But what can there be to tell you? There was another victim, madame. An indirect victim, you might say. Poor Suzanne. The nursemaid? Yes, I have forgotten about her. The police were convinced that she had something to do with it. She thought she was being held responsible. She threw herself out of the window. It was horrible. There was a nurse, too, I think. Yes, there was. I think her name was Stringlebert, something like that. She was devoted to Daisy and to my sister. You were a young girl at the time. Did you have no one to superintend your studies? Oh, yes, I had a governess, a red-haired Scotch woman. She was a frightful dragon. What was her name? Miss Freebody. Huh. Young or old? She seemed frightfully old to me. I suppose she couldn't have been more than 40. And there were no other inmates in the house? Only the servants. Are you certain? Quite certain, madame, that you have recognized no one on the train? No one, monsieur. No one at all. Do you hear that? That is coming from the other side of the barrier of snow. Ask you is on its way, mes amis. Which means that the Yugoslav police will be on their way, too. You are quite right, Doctor. There is no time to be lost. How long do you think it will take the snowplows to get through to us, Monsieur Bouc? Oh, a matter of hours. The princess is coming. Huh? Monsieur Poirot, oh, pray, receive it, gentlemen. Monsieur Poirot, I believe that you have a handkerchief of mine. Is this it, madame? Yes, it is. It has my initial in the corner. But, uh, Madame la Princesse, it is the letter H. I understood that your name was Natalia. That is correct, Monsieur. 
Thy handkerchiefs are always in use with the Russian characters. H is N in Russian. But you did not tell me that the handkerchief was yours when we talked earlier. You need not make a lengthy business of this, monsieur. Your next question will be, how did my handkerchief come to be lying next to the murdered man's body? My reply is that I have no idea. You will excuse me, madame, but how much can we rely upon the truthfulness of your replies? Is this because I did not tell you I knew that Elena Andreni was Mrs. Armstrong's sister? It was a deliberate lie, madame. Of course it was. Her mother was my friend. I believe in loyalty to one's friends, to one's family, and to one's caste. You do not believe in doing your utmost to further the cause of justice? No one paid much heed to the cause of justice when Cassetti walked from that court of free man. But now, I believe that justice, a strict justice, has been done. Hmm. Lies and still more lies. It amazes me the amount of lies we had told to us this morning. <laughs> there are still more to discover. So, uh, who do we tackle next? We question the Pakasaib Colonel Abathnot. Uh, I don't imagine he will be very pleased. It could easily be one of my pipe cleaners. I don't put a private mark on them. Do you know where it was found? Not the least idea. It was found by the body of the murdered man. Can you tell us how it is likely to have got there? If you mean, did I drop it there myself? No, I didn't. I never even spoke to the fellow. You mean you never spoke to him and you did not murder him? If I had, I should hardly be likely to acquaint you with the fact. As a matter of fact, I didn't murder Ratchet. Ah, well, it is of no consequence. I beg your pardon? It is of no consequence. What I really wish to ask you about was quite another matter. Miss Devon may have told you, perhaps, that I overheard some words she spoke to you at the station of Konya. She said, not now, when it's all over, when it's all behind us. Can you tell us what she meant by that? I'm sorry, but I must refuse to answer that question. You will not give away a lady's secret? You can put it that way, if you like. Miss Debenham told me that the words referred to a private matter of her own. Then why not take her word for it? Because, Colonel, Miss Debenham is what one might call a highly suspicious character. That's nonsense. You have nothing whatever against her. Not the fact that Miss Debenham was companion governess in the Armstrong household at the time of the kidnapping of little Daisy Armstrong? <laughs> you see, Colonel, we know more than you think. If Miss Debenham is innocent, why did she conceal the fact? Why did she tell me that she had never been in America? Why don't you ask her? That, my dear Colonel, is precisely what I am going to do. Yes, it's true. I... I did lie to you. Ah, you admit it? Certainly, since you found me out. You are at least frank, mademoiselle. There doesn't seem anything else for me to be. And why did you lie to me? I should have thought the reason leapt to the eye, Monsieur Poirot. Does not leap to mine. I have my living to get. What has that to do with it? What do you know of the struggle to get and keep a decent situation? Do you think a woman who has been detained in connection with a murder case and whose photograph has probably appeared in all the English papers, do you think that any nice, ordinary, English, middle-class woman would want to engage that person as a governess to her daughters? Why should I put my whole future at risk when no good could have been served? I would have thought that I would have been the best judge of that, not you. You will not tell me your secret, mademoiselle? I can't. 
I can't. You don't want me anymore, do you, Monsieur Poirot? I shan't run away. Another miraculous guess. My dear friend, you really are quite astonishing. Oh, I claim no credit this time. Countess Andrani practically told me. But the woman the Countess described as her governess was nothing like Miss Debenham. She said she was a middle-aged Scotswoman with red hair. The exact opposite in every respect. And then she had to invent a name for her on the spur of the moment, and it was the unconscious association of ideas that gave her away. She called her Miss Freebody, you remember? Yes. In London there is a store called Debenham and Freebody. With the name Debenham running in her head, she clutches at the first name that comes to mind. Freebody. Oh. Huh. Uh, nothing could surprise me now. Even if everybody on the train turned out to have been in the Armstrong household... I should not so much as blink. That is a very profound remark. Would you like to see what your favorite suspect, the Italian, has to say for himself? Yes, I was the Armstrong, the chauffeur, but I had nothing to do with this business last night. I never left the carriage. You cannot prove anything against me. Very good. You can go. A pig. You should have gone to the electric chair anyway. Did you know the, the American police tried to pin it on me? But it was not you. You had nothing to do with the kidnapping of the child. Oh, you know, you could not understand. That little girl was the light of the whole house. Tonyo, she called to me. I'm going to drive the car now, Tonyo, she would say. And she would sit on my lap and I hold the wheel. How could anyone do such a thing to her? I do understand. You may go. She was an angel. <laughs> a little angel. My head is spinning. It is not possible. Who are you going to call now? The Swedish lady, Miss Olsen. But how can she be involved in all this? Do you remember the trained nurse who worked with the Armstrong household? That poor child. She had known nothing but kindness and love. If you'd been there, if you'd lived through that terrible tragedy. I know I should have told you the truth about myself, but I was afraid, I was afraid, because I rejoiced that that evil man was dead. I understand everything. I will ask you no more questions. It is enough that you have admitted what I knew to be the truth. Go now, mademoiselle. <laughs> One begins to understand how unutterably evil this man must have been. <coughs> I hope that I'm not intruding, sir. Not in the least. What is it that you have to say, Mr. Masterman? I thought it best to come along at once, sir, and tell you the truth. And what is that? I was Colonel Armstrong's batman during the war, sir. And afterwards, I was his valet when the family was living in New York. I'm afraid I concealed the fact this morning. It was very wrong of me, sir, and I thought I'd better come along and make a clean breast of it. Very right and proper, Mr. Masterman. Is that all you have to say? Uh, that is all, sir. Thank you. You may go. I just had to get it off my conscience, sir. Of the twelve passengers in that coach, nine have been proved to have a connection with the Armstrong family, but which of them is the murderer? Ah, my friend, I fear you do not understand at all. Tell me, do you really not know who killed Ratchet? Do you? 
I think that it is time now that we assembled all the passengers together. I will ask Michel to arrange it. Ah, yes, Michel. It is essential that he is there too. Michel? You mean he too is involved in this? Oh, it is impossible. Where will it all end? The passengers are all gathered in the dining car, Monsieur Bouc. Ah, thank you, Michel. Uh, what's happening outside? They're getting up steam on the engine. Does that mean the line is clear? The snowplows are only a few hundred meters away. The track should be clear within the hour. Then the sooner this little matter is cleared up, the better. If you would care to go ahead, Monsieur Poirot. Mesdames et Messieurs, we are here, as you know, to investigate the killing of Samuel Edward Ratchet Cassetti. I have considered the matter very carefully, and I have come to the conclusion that there are two possible explanations of the crime. Two? I shall put both of them before you, and I shall ask Monsieur Bouc and Dr. Constantine here to judge which solution is the right one. Very well. Now, you all know the facts of the case. Mr. Ratchet was found stabbed this morning. He was last known to be alive at 12.37 last night when he spoke to the wagon Lee conductor through the door. A watch in his pajama pocket was found to be badly dented and it had stopped at a quarter past one. What did you consider the time of death to be after your examination, Doctor? Between midnight and two in the morning. At half an hour after midnight, as you all know, the train ran into a snowdrift. After that time, it was impossible for anyone to leave the train. We are therefore forced to the conclusion that the murderer is to be found among the occupants of one particular coach, the Stambul Calais coach. That, as I say, was our theory. What do you mean, Monsieur Parot? I will put before you an alternative theory. It is very simple. Mr. Ratchet had a certain enemy whom he feared. Perhaps you would describe him to us, Mr. Hardman. Sure. He said to look out for a small, dark man with a womanish voice. Now, it is my belief that Mr. Ratchet knew a good deal more than he told. The enemy, as he expected, joined the train at Belgrade, or possibly at Vinkovtsi. He wore a wagon Lee uniform over his ordinary clothes and had a pass key which enabled him to gain access to Mr. Ratchet's compartment. The man stabbed Ratchet with great ferocity and left through the communicating door to Miss Hubbard's compartment. And to think that at first nobody would believe me. He slipped out into the corridor, put his uniform into Fräulein Schmidt's suitcase and he left the train just before it pulled out of Inkovtsi. But what about the watch? There you have the explanation for the whole thing. Mr. Ratchet had omitted to put his watch back an hour, as he should have done at Saribrod. His watch still registered Eastern European time, which is one hour ahead of Central European time. It was a quarter past twelve when Ratchet was stabbed, not a quarter past one. No, 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 no. This is not possible. This explanation simply does not hold water. It is deficient in at least a dozen points. You know very well that it is not the way in which the crime was committed, Monsieur Parot. Very well, Doctor. I see that I shall have to give you my second solution. But do not abandon the first one too abruptly. You may come round to it later. So we come to my second solution. First of all, I was struck by a remark made by Monsieur Bouc in the restaurant car on the first day after leaving Istanbul. 
You mean about the company being so varied with so many different characters and nationalities? Precisely. When I was reflecting on the murder, I tried to imagine whether such an assembly was ever likely to be collected together under any other conditions. And the answer which came to me was... only in America. In America there might be a household composed of just such varied nationalities. An Italian chauffeur, an English governess, a Swedish nurse, a French lady's maid, and so on. That led to my little game of guessing. Casting each person for a certain part in the Armstrong family drama as a producer casts a play. All your so-called guesses turned out to be quite remarkably accurate. It is very good of you to say so. I then considered some of the evidence that had been presented to us. Let us take Mr. Masterman. You said that your master was in the habit of taking a sleeping draft when travelling by train. Right, that is correct. He invariably found it hard to get to sleep on a moving train. But would Ratchet have taken one last night? A man who keeps an automatic under his pillow because his life has been threatened would scarcely take a sleeping draft. Whatever narcotic was administered to him must have been done without his knowledge. By whom? Obviously by McQueen or Masterman. Now, to pass to the evidence of Mrs. Hubbard... I was wondering how long it would be before you got around to me. Mrs. Hubbard has told us that lying in bed she was unable to see whether the communicating door was bolted or not, and so asked Miss Olsen to look for her. Now, though her statement may have been perfectly true if she had been occupying any of the even-numbered compartments in the uneven numbers, such as compartment number three, the bolt is well above the handle and could not therefore be masked by the sponge bag. I was forced to conclude that Mrs. Hubbard was inventing an incident that had never occurred. And now let me say a word or two about time. I felt certain that the evidence of Ratchet's watch had been deliberately faked. The crime was not committed at a quarter past one. So, when did the murder take place? In my opinion, Ratchet was killed at some time very close upon two o'clock, the latest hour that Dr. Constantine gives as possible. Which brings us to the question of who killed him. I was struck by the extraordinary difficulty of proving a case against any one person on the train and the curious coincidence that in every instance each alibi was confirmed by what I might describe as an unlikely person. McQueen and Colonel Arbuthnot, Miss Debenham and Miss Olsen, Mr. Masterman and Signor Foscarelli, all were apparent strangers to one another. I said to myself, this is extraordinary. They cannot all be in it. And then I saw the light. They were all in it. All of them? I remember the remark of Colonel Abbathnot about trial by jury. A jury is composed of twelve people. There were twelve passengers. Ratchet was stabbed twelve times. So each blow was inflicted by a different person. Of course. Ratchet had escaped justice in America. There was no question as to his guilt. I visualized a self-appointed jury of twelve people who condemned Ratchet to death and who were forced by the exigencies of the case to be their own executioners. It was all calculated perfectly, each person playing his or her allotted part. If I had not found that scrap of burnt letter, 
There would have been no clue pointing to the Armstrong case and no reason for suspecting any of the passengers on the train. It would be put down as an outside job. And then the train ran into snowdrift. Mm. I can only imagine that the conspirators had a hasty discussion and decided to risk everything and go ahead, even with a celebrated detective in the next compartment to Ratchet. But how could they have known who you were? What other explanation could there be for the cry I heard in the night or for the voice from Ratchet's compartment speaking in French? Hm. They were staged especially for my benefit. Why else go to so much trouble to plan clues that were deliberately intended to confuse? The pipe cleaner implicated Colonel Arbuthnot, who appeared to have a cast-iron alibi and no connection with the Armstrong family, and the handkerchief of the Princess Dragomirov, who was too weak to have committed the crime. And there was one other very curious red herring. The mysterious woman in the scarlet kimono. She was certainly invented specifically to deceive me. And the wool was, briefly, pulled over my eyes. Now there is a further point to consider. For the conspiracy to work, the wagon lit conductor had to play a part in it. But how could Michel possibly be involved in this? He was a vital part of the plot, Monsieur Book. But that gave me thirteen persons instead of twelve. So... Out of the thirteen, there must have been one of the twelve who did not strike Ratchet. Remember, Monsieur Poirot, I gave you my word of honour that my wife did not leave the compartment. And you are a man of honour, are you not, Monsieur le Comte? It was you who struck the blow, was it not? But you still haven't explained where Pierre Michel fits into all this. At first I could not understand. Then I remembered that the nursery maid who killed herself was French. Suzanne was utterly innocent. The police tried to hold her responsible for what had happened. Yes, Monsieur Michel. Your daughter had no part in the kidnapping, and you, Mr. Hardman, who tried so hard to convince us that you had been hired by Ratchet, you loved her, did you not? She meant everything in the world to me, Mr. Poirot. I cannot keep up with it all. Where does Fallen Schmidt figure in all this? I laid a little trap for her. I said I knew she was a good cook. And I replied, all my ladies have said so. How stupid. I was deceived by your charm, Monsieur Poirot. <laughs> you were travelling as a lady's maid, Fraulein. I was cook to the Armstrongs for three years. Which leaves us with Mrs. Hubbard. Now, Mrs. Hubbard, let me say, played the most important part in the drama. By occupying the compartment communicating with Ratchet, she was more open to suspicion than anyone else. To act out the part she played, an artist was needed. And there was a great artist connected with the Armstrong family, Sonia Armstrong's mother, the famous actress, Linda Arden. I always fancied myself in comedy parts. And you played the part wonderfully, madame. Even you, Monsieur Poirot, can't really imagine what it was like. One terrible disaster after another. My grandchild, my daughter, my son-in-law, the poor French girl. I was crazy with grief. We all were. It would have melted a heart of stone. Armstrong was my best friend. He saved my life during the war. 
After Ratchet escaped the course of justice, we decided that the death sentence had to be carried out. At that stage, there were only 11 of us. Suzanne's father was in France, of course. But the moment they approached me, there was no question of my not taking part. At first, Monsieur Poirot, we thought we should draw lots as to who should be the executioner. But I said, no, let us all carry out the death sentence. So we set to work to plan exactly how we could carry it through. But how do you fit into all this, Mr. McQueen? That's not so easy to answer. I suppose you could say I was in love with Sonia. Not that she knew anything about it, of course. I worshipped the ground she walked on. I took pity on the poor boy. I told him to come around as often as he wanted. There didn't seem any harm in it. There wasn't. It was just enough to be in her company every now and then. And after she died... After my daughter died, Mr. McQueen did something that would have been impossible for the rest of us. I never let Ratchet out of my sight. I followed him all the way across Europe and the Middle East. And when he fired his secretary, I just happened to be in the same hotel. Monsieur McQueen let us know that Ratchet would be returning by the Orient Express. It was not difficult to get myself on that train, and the chance seemed too good to miss. We were carrying out the sentence the Lord failed to deliver. I wasn't too keen on the idea of stabbing the man to death, but a dagger was the kind of weapon that anyone could use, strong or weak. And it made no noise. And each of you, in turn, entered Ratchet's darkened compartment through that of Mrs. Hubbard and struck your blow, so that none of you would ever know which wound had actually killed him. Just so. Rather like a firing squad. Well, you know everything now, Monsieur Poirot. What are you going to do about it? If it all really has to come out, can't you lay the blame on me and me only? I would have stabbed that man 12 times over very willingly. It's unnecessary to bring all the others into it. All these good, faithful souls. And poor Michelle. And Mary and Colonel Abbasnop. They love each other. Mr. Book, you are director of the Vangoni Company. You have heard all the evidence... Was it the work of a lone assassin? Or was it an act of justice carried out by twelve people in this carriage? Well, uh, in my opinion, Monsieur Poirot, the first theory that you put forward was the correct one. The killer left the train at Vinkovsi. Oh. And I suggest that that is the solution we should put to the authorities when they arrive. And what do you think, Dr. Constantine? I agree with Monsieur Book. So, having placed my solution before you, I have the honor to retire from the case. I think this must mean that the line is clear. And we have accomplished what we set out to do. Madame la Princesse, Monsieur le Comte, Madame la Comtesse, Mesdames et Messieurs, the Orient Express is about to depart. In Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express, John Moffat played Hercule Poirot and Andre Moran, Monsieur Bouc. Joss Ackland was Ratchet, Sylvia Sims, Mrs. Hubbard, Francesca Annis, Miss Debenham, Sean Phillips, the Princess Dragomirov. With Frank Windsor as Pierre Michel, 
Peter Polycarpu, Dr. Constantine, and Desmond Llewellyn, Masterman. The music was composed and performed by Michael Haslam. Murder on the Orient Express was dramatized by Michael Bakewell and directed by Enid Williams. <laughs>